Well, shalom everyone. This is Dr. Dina Dye with Returning to Eden. And I'd introduce my co-host, but he's not here. So as many of you know, or maybe some of you know, um, Jeff's brother passed away this week. And so he's flying back probably as we speak to New York, Buffalo, no, Rochester. And uh, he'll be with his family probably for a week. And so we just wish them well. Those of you, I know you really appreciated those sending condolences, etc. And, uh, you know, sort of in the theme of what we were talking about, because uh, Jeff, his brother had been incarcerated for quite a few years, I think in 20 plus. And he did come to faith in the Lord about 10 years ago, and Jeff was sharing with him uh, kind of the next sort of step, understanding the Torah, embracing that. But the one thing that that Jeff asked his brother is if you had it to do all over again, right? And he, his brother responded that he wished that he had served more, that he'd help people instead of taking from people. So kind of along those lines, I'm, I'm just going to wax eloquent this evening solo. I'm probably going to go off on rabbit trails, but uh, just want to keep with that theme, the kingdom theme, and, and how, do we, how, how are we kingdom people in, the, in a world that's filled with chaos. Uh, and before, just before I get into it too much, um, for those of you, my book is available now, The Temple Revealed in the Garden, Priests and Kings. Some of this that I'm going to share tonight is actually in the book, but you can go on Amazon and just purchase it there, and uh, I'll be much uh, appreciated if, uh, if you do. And uh, I'm still uh, slightly under the weather, and so I'm going to try not to cough for the next 30 minutes. Uh, but if I have to, I'm going to put the mute button on. So just uh, bear with me. So this, you know, I, today I was just sort of thinking about what to share, what to talk about. And it's this sort of contrast between what feels like abject chaos all around us, and yet these elements of the, the beauty of the kingdom shining through. And I think overall this has been a really tough week. Um, in fact, kind of a tough day. Uh, Two police officers were shot dead today, which is just uh, 12 hours apart, one in Alabama and the other one in Maryland. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. And uh, please pray for that, their families. I just can't even imagine going through through that. We have uh, our family. We have, um, we, are a, a, we have police in our family, so, you know, it's always a constant worry. You pray a lot when you have that situation. So, you know, anyone who has law enforcement... And their family knows what I'm talking about. And, and of course, we've been through this just horrific thing in Florida. This stuff. Just, I, I really don't even know where to put that. And, and then now, now we're seeing the reaction to it, and the reaction is chaos. And it appears to me that even in some of the reaction with these protests with the students, et cetera, and now this sort of push, you know, between gun control advocates and those that, you know, um, favor the Second Amendment. It's just, the climate just seems to be heating up and heating up. And in the midst of all that, we today, I, I'm sure most of you know that um, Billy Graham passed away today. He was 99. I think he was going to turn 100 in November. And, you know, that's, that's a great loss as well, although the last a number of years he's been sick in, the ho in and out of the hospital and obviously he's not been preaching. So it's kind of a weird juxtaposition there. So I was thinking a lot about, you know, in fact, that 
juxtaposition between the world of chaos and the world of the, of the kingdom. And uh, chaos is generally created, if you look back in history, by the movers and the shakers, by the rulers, the, the kings, the princes, whoever. They intentionally create an environment that, that is chaotic. And they do that on purpose in order to maintain power and control. And this has been the way it's been going all the way back to the time of Adam. And in looking in the ancient uh, areas of Mesopotamia, Sumer, I mean, if you look at the wars between kings, etc., it's always the same. The purpose was to create chaos so that power could move into that vacuum. And I, I'm fully of the opinion that we're seeing the same thing being replayed here as well. So anciently kings, uh, when a king came to power, I mean, he was either a good king or a bad king. Even if he was a good king, sometimes he would end up becoming corrupt. This is sort of the natural way of the world, if you will. So any time you have a ruler, kings, dictators, tyrants, whatever, their main desire is to dominate and control and basically to enslave the masses. And I really don't see a whole lot of difference going on in our, our nation today. Um, it's kind of the us's and the them's, although, you know, it shouldn't be. But what you see is this huge divide between the political elites, uh, the power brokers in business, the Hollywood moguls, etc. And it just appears that they... Uh, that they continue to try to lord it over the masses, over the folks. And so we end up living under oppressors and abusers. Now, clearly, uh, our country didn't start out that way. And I just sense, once you remove the Judeo-Christian underpinnings, uh, that this is kind of where we end up. And so in time, just about every empire ends up being corrupt and being oppressive. And it's rare to find uh, a benevolent ruler uh, who puts his people over himself. And so when we look at Yeshua the Messiah's life, that's exactly what he did. And I, the, the one of the things that's problematic here is we forget that the whole of the New Testament is about Yeshua becoming king. It's not about anything else other than him becoming king, being a benevolent king, and he puts his people before himself. And that's part of... Uh, if we talk about Yeshua hanging on the tree, that he was willing to, that instead of a, being a king who rose above everything else and exalted himself, he came down to where the folks were. He, you think, why, why wouldn't he at that time have changed the dynamic, the situation? Um, why couldn't he eliminate the problems and the obstacles and the suffering? And he chose instead to participate in it, to come come down, if you will, and be with us and be with the folks, the common people, the people that don't have influence and power, the people, we're not the movers and the shakers, we're just the regular people, and it was for us that he came and he took, and he uh, entered into a world of suffering that he didn't need to, in order to uh, be with us, in a sense, and so as I've talked about, you know, going from the garden into the field, the field is a place of heartbreak and suffering and, and torture, and it, it's where we live, folks. And so in, the, in that, that is our reality. And I was thinking about the school shooting 
you know, I don't even want to give credence to the person credence to the person who did this, and I'm not would not mention his name, etc. But you think about the heroes in that that the coach that took all those bullets to protect the students. It was a young man in the ROTC. They used their Kevlar vest to protect the students. It was also a teacher who was able to get uh, like 20 students into a classroom and he was attempting to lock the door and the bullets came through and it killed him. And I, I think that is to me the personification of the kingdom, is, is these people that gave their lives to try to protect everyone else. Um, hopefully these students realize the power of that. Uh, three students alone from the ROTC that was on campus were killed and um, they're going to get full military honors which I think is really a, a blessing. But so this is our dichotomy. That the kingdom is here now but not yet. And so every act of kindness, every act that um, everything that would expand the kingdom and, and how we treat people and how we exalt life shows shine the kingdom shines forth and so it's this contrast and this conflict if you will between death and life and so we think about the world of the first century it wasn't any different um, the people were oppressed by Rome Caesar uh, was an oppressive tyrant <laughs> I don't care which Caesar you're talking about um, it was at the same time the uh, power elites were running the temple so the people were under there that were oppressed by them you had all these various political factions um, and very violent period complex violent etc and it's into this that Yeshua came to defeat all the enemies of the world and so the the kings of this world are the enemies of God <laughs> And so into that, Yeshua entered the Messiah, the King. And he joined in the suffering of those at the time and for all future time for the downtrodden and the oppressed and the sick and the infirmed and, and those without a voice. Um, so again, I don't see a whole lot of difference between us and them. He's come into our lives and, and expanded the kingdom in the same way so that we will take that same message out. He, the way, in the way he delivered those people at the time is the way he rescues and delivers us. Uh, the common folk, we're delivered from the oppression of the rulers and kings of this world because they never, they never have your best interest in mind. Only the Messiah has your best interest in mind. To them, we are their slaves that they would do with as they will. But to the Messiah, we are as his co-heirs, we are his equals, we are sons of God, as he was the son of God in the kingdom of heaven. And we are slaves that have been set free. So in the natural world, we are subject to the kings of this earth. But in the eternal world, remember, there overlaps. We are free. We are slaves that have been set free. We think about in the midst of this world, the persecuted church, for example, all around the world, and we in America, are, we don't really share in their sufferings, which I'm pretty sure we probably will. Um, some of the most oppressed places like Iran or some places in Africa, China, etc., they seem to be able to express what it really means to no longer be slaves, even though they are enslaved 
in the natural and we aren't. Um, they live in hell on earth. We have no idea. They live imprisoned and tor tortured often for their faith. Think of the, the Middle East and Syria and the beheadings and of Christians in Libya, etc., etc. And yet, in the midst of that, they can exercise joy unspeakable, if you will, and full of glory. I love that expression. And so we have a lot to learn from the persecuted church, and I think we need to learn it quickly because we're going to find ourselves in the same, same place. I'd like to read this passage from First Peter. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And uh, we have definitely entered into that place in our nation, for example, of being insulted for, for being for walking in the name of, of Christ. We are, we are definitely experiencing insult on every side. So think of, again about Adam, priest and king in the garden, image bearer, called to serve, cultivate the soil, guard the sacred space, serve as mediator between heaven and earth. And even though he disobeyed the commandment, the, the covenant, I should say, and he was exiled from the garden into the field, I just want to emphasize that his service to God did not change. Uh, the, command was the command was given to him to expand the kingdom to the four corners. That is to uh, make a place for God's presence, even in the midst of the field, throughout the earth. And basically to prepare mankind to receive the sovereign rule of God. So that was never rescinded. That commandment is, was in place, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And... I, I, we have in this time we have to focus in on that. So again, I was thinking a lot about Billy Graham. You know, we look and he's a great man. I think what did he he ministered to more than 200 million people in 185 countries, and we, who knows how many more hundreds of millions saw him on TV and, and film and all these things. His quote I love, my one purpose in life, he said, is to help people find a relationship with God, which I believe comes through knowing Christ. I mean, he was preaching the foolishness <laughs> of the kingdom to the power brokers of the earth. This, Billy Graham was the, the sort of the pastor to presidents from Dwight Eisenhower on up to Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump's family knew Billy Graham well when he was a young boy. And so we, from the outside looking in, we think of this man as just this great pillar of the faith. But he, I think he'd be the first to tell you that uh, he had failed too, because we are flawed human beings. He wasn't a perf he wasn't perfect. Uh, I think his kids would probably tell you he failed. That you know, the, his young his daughter shared a number of times, you know, about how he wasn't around for them. He was you know, busy doing the work of God and, and there were times when the kids were abandoned. Uh, his kids all got into trouble. Um, you know, Franklin was a rebel. <laughs> uh, so, you know, this is not a perfect family. He was not a perfect man. So we have to get out of the perfect concept of what it means to be serving God and to be a person, a man or a woman of God. And 
I think the, the key in what Billy Graham said was that in his heart he always desired to be in the center of God's will, uh, the will of God, and it didn't matter to him what the pain or the circumstance that he was in as long as he was in the center of God's will. So that's the safest place to be. That's the place of, that's joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. And that's where we want to be able to be is in the center of his will, no matter what the circumstances that we're experiencing. And clearly some people, I mean, I have friends going through extremely difficult times. Um, and I look at it and go, I, I don't even know how I would make it. And yet they just take one step at a time for the glory of God. One of the things Billy Graham also said was, so about prayer, um, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. In my, my opinion is that that particular scripture has to do with the prayer times related to the offering service. And that's just how I view it. In, in his mind, praying without ceasing meant exactly that. He never stopped praying. He said that in every waking moment of his life, since he was 16 years old, he, would, he was praying to glorify uh, Yeshua the Messiah. Of course, he referred to him as Christ. He also said that he never missed a single day of scripture reading. Now that, to my mind, is amazing. So he, what he did was he would leave his um, Bible open wherever he was in the house or wherever he was, and it would remind him, and as he walked by, he'd maybe just read a chapter or a few chapters, or might he might sit down and, and read for several hours. But uh, he said that was his spiritual nourishment. So what we have with a man like this, it's, it's not so much, he's not perfect. And he's not some sort of super special, super righteous Christian. He's a man that exercised discipline. That to me is the key to the whole thing. Uh, he, it's the daily discipline of the walk and meeting the father, meeting the son each day and getting your marching orders and then going out and doing what you've been what you've been called to do and uh, you know I, I, I have a my the last chapter of my book <clears throat> I kind of take this on uh, talking about priests because uh, I go through the first chapter it's it's Eden the garden and the field and then it's kings and then I, I close it out with priests and just I talk, you know, what would what would Jesus do? That's <laughs> one of the subtitles in there. What does it mean to be a priest, and how do we how do we operate uh, as a priest? And uh, I'd like to read this quote from uh, N.T. Wright. You all know that he's like one of my favorites. But he said, "The priesthood stands at the intersection of heaven and earth in the temple, in service to the Creator, with prayer." intercession and praise on behalf of a tormented world and folks that is our job to stand in the gap on behalf of a tormented world that is upside down in chaos and it's not about being removed from the world it's not about being protected from all of this stuff because you know you can only go so far you, you know you can just walk out in the morning and everything the sun shining it looks all looks great you get in the car and you know who knows um, there is no guarantee but our job as priests is to intercede on behalf of the torment that the world and the chaos that the world is in uh, we're it's it's like the lunatics are running the insane asylum 
and we're the only hope of uh, bringing sanity and in through the wisdom of God and, and bringing and showing who God is and walking in that character. I think that's the, the really the greatest legacy to me of Billy Graham was his character. I mean, he wouldn't even get in an elevator alone with a woman. I mean, look how far we've come from that. My gosh, and consider what's going on with this Me Too movement and everything else. Um, the complete uh, disintegration of relationships between men and women, between husbands and wives and the family. And, you know, and a lot of this is, a lot of the meltdown of, of our culture can be traced to that. Um, we've completely devalued human life, and so our job is to show the value of human life, and to to bring that. And so, all we can do through that is really <clears throat> by our character. Again, we are we're completely flawed vessels, and yet the Lord chooses to chooses us <laughs> and works through us in spite of that. And so we participate in His work of expanding the kingdom. We are co-heirs in that responsibility, and we basically are responsible to multiply his image in our, in our sphere of influence. And really, I think that's another key, uh, you know, I haven't been called to preach to millions and millions and millions. Uh, I have a sphere of influence that I work in. It might be a little bit bigger than yours. It might be a little different than yours. But that's the key. That's where you. That's where your work is. Is where he's called you in your sphere of of influence. Um, one of the things I was <clears throat> comparing Billy Graham. Um, I don't know if any. Some of you might be familiar. I did. I studied church history quite a bit back in the day, and one of the great preachers of the 1700s uh, was a man named George. Whitfield. Now, some people call him Whitefield. It's actually Whitfield. And this guy, I mean, he was an animal for preaching the gospel, let's just say. He was truly the Billy Graham of his time, and he didn't have any amplification. He never had a mic. But he would go out and preach to crowds of upwards of 20,000 plus. Now, this is in the 1700s. They said he, he was called the marvel of his age, and he, he delivered something like 30,000 sermons. Like, who could even, I can't even process that. He was, uh, you know, he was a trained orator, and he was brilliant at what he did. And he would just talk for hours and hours and hours on end um, just to packed <laughs> venues all over the place. Um, they said that over the course of his life, he probably preached to about 10 million. So here we have Billy Graham preaching to upwards of 200 million, and George uh, Whitfield in the 1700s preaching to 10 million. It says that um, every night before he went to bed, this is George Whitfield, he would evaluate his conduct during the day. And he had a list of 15 criteria, and he'd sort of go through his day and match up his behavior with these 15 criteria. And uh, it, was th it was in that daily exercise and that daily discipline that we see that produced great fruit in Whitfield as in, in Billy Graham. It's, it's the discipline in the little things. It's allowing God to mold and shape your character in the little things so that when the big things come along, you'll rise to the occasion. I know I often think uh, if, if a 
situation, a <clears throat> dramatic, intense situation came along, am I prepared to deal with it? And I usually tell myself I'm not. Um, but if, again, if you prepare small, in the small things, then you'll be ready for the big things. I think the discipline and self-control is a really big part of, of the, the job of the priest. And of course our motivation, love for the brethren, which um, I think is in short supply these days. Uh, that is how they know that we are one, one community under God is our love one for another. and. Uh, Right now, it just feels like in our country, everything's been just kind of pulled apart. And so love, it, that kind of love, service love is what I'm talking about. Um, that where you go the extra mile, you don't want to maybe, but you just know because you love God so much and you're out, you're there to serve and represent and be an image bearer, that you will extend yourself in a way that in the natural and in your flesh, you never would. But this is how the kingdom is expanded. And George Whitfield, Whitfield, for example, was um, he was completely motivated by his love for God. Um, it inspired him in ways that sometimes hard for us to understand, but to be so productive. This is I know most of us want to go to the grave being being thought of as people who produced a lot of fruit. And George Whitfield, productive, he was he desired excellence and he was willing to serve in any way he could. Um, and he was very um, how to put it, uh, he was he thought about his time mattered to him. I know for myself I have I I'm really good at wasting time, you know. <laughs> I really am. Um, but he, he would say, what right have I to steal and abuse my master's time? I know that I personally don't look at the time that I have wasted as the time that I have wasted the master's time. I just sort of look at it as the time I've personally wasted. But really, we have wasted the master's time in that. And so I, I just uh, I saw an interesting juxtaposition here between these two men today as uh, I was thinking about him. Um, you know, again, God's called us to be priests and kings in the field and to cultivate in love. Basically, we're cultivating the soil of the human heart. And we do that through, through our prayers and through our works of service. And again, that requires daily discipline and reading and studying the scriptures and setting a time daily to spend time with the Father, learning how to approach the king. Um, it, you know, it's not about escaping and hiding in a bubble and hoping for a way out. And because I think I recall Yeshua saying that he didn't ask the Father to take us out of the world, but to keep us from the evil one in the world. And I would just suggest um, the evil one of the day in the first century uh, was actually more looked upon as uh, Rome, as Caesar, as the, the rulers of the temple, for example, who were lording it over the people. And so we are, in a sense, we are experiencing not to that degree because the plight of the individual through the course of human history has been one of slavery under every empire you can think of. And we have been in a very unique place in which we've lived in. We, 
live in a country where we are still free um, and that we can actually vote for our own represent representatives. But you see, as we, as the Judeo-Christian foundation, had, the rug has come out from under us. Uh, we, we have moved into that secular humanist place, and we have no, uh, where it, immorality is sort of rules the day. Um, it's a lot more difficult, isn't it? But I'm just, you know, as I close out this 30 minutes, it went awfully fast. Um, just, you know, think about being a priest, serving your Lord, learning about how to approach the king. Uh, stand on your principles. Don't ever compromise them. And act justly towards everyone and walk in humility. That's what Billy Graham did, esteeming others better than yourself. The man had audiences with popes and presidents, and he worked in soup kitchens and helped drug addicts and etc. So um, on that note, thanks for joining me, and hopefully uh, this has been an uplifting 30 minutes for you. And uh, next week, I trust uh, Jeff will be back, because I'm sure you don't want to hear me drone on for 30 minutes. <laughs> it's been great. Thanks for having me into your home. See you next time. Shalom. Shalom.